the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined, as always, by the man in salmon, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? Great, Christian. Very good to be with you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm doing okay. Did you guys survive the windstorm? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, not so funny. I, as a matter of fact, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to clean up in our neighborhood. Uh, many, many trees were blown over. And I went running yesterday morning. I was the only person that went out there. And I, at one point running up the hill, it was pushing me up the hill. When I got to the top of the ridge, it, I almost, it almost blew me off the ridge. It was that strong. It was unbelievable. And, uh, and I had to clean, clean, trees off the trail they were blown over on the on the trail and uh yeah it was it's bad news um it, it, there's a lot of damage where i am how about where you are uh, not so much we didn't get the winds nearly as bad as salt lake city or bountiful up davis county which were really really slammed my wife right. and i went for a walk yesterday it was quite windy but um there was there was really nothing you know there weren't any trees toppled or anything like that Oh, well, that's good. Very, very good. So what'd you do for Labor Day? Well, before I get to Labor Day, just one more thing about the trees. So uh, I, I, oh. I, so my, my daughter, as you know, attends the University of Utah and classes were canceled yesterday. And so she stayed home. And then today she went back up to the U because she had a, she has one class that's uh, in-person class and she went up there. And then she called me and said, Dad, can you, can you come pick me up? Because... Um, the tracks, uh, has, uh, there's a problem with tracks. There's been a fire or something. And so tracks is not running to the, you know, I can't get through my stop. So I went to pick her up and driving up there and then returning, um, there were some traffic lights still out. Uh, so it took a long time and, uh, we drove past Liberty park and the damage incredible. I mean, I saw a little bit on the news, but I didn't realize that there were just so many trees toppled over. Um, there's a cemetery right across the street from the University of Utah. Trees toppled over all over the place in that cemetery. And then several homes, uh, you know, trees uh, bent over, broken, uh, sideways. And then Liberty Park was just, I, I couldn't believe just how many trees were knocked over by that crazy wind yeah that is yeah that is that is too bad like i said i mean we're we're taking chainsaws and saws and luckily there was not a lot of damage to homes where where i live but there are lots of trees that have been knocked over and you know ones that have been there for a long time and it's 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 pretty sad so interesting stuff yeah my daughter she takes aerial silks classes and her instructor had a tree and she lives in holiday, the instructor and a tree blew over in their yard and about half of their roof was blown off their house. So, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. They, they are having to do some major repairs to the roof, but, uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I, I really had no idea that the damage was that widespread. 
Well, I'm glad that uh, that you were safe. So, but before all that craziness, what'd you do on Labor Day? So uh, we had a pretty low key Labor Day. We basically just stayed here. Then we had a barbecue with my brother-in-law and his family. Yeah, and uh, and that was nice to spend a little time with family. How about you? Well, I sent my son out on uh, for the second time back out on his mission. You know, he came home in March with COVID and then, you know, he, he worked for the summer and did some activities. And then he went back out uh, from Philippines the first time. Now he went back to New Mexico, actually in the Durango, Utah, Arizona, Four Corners area. And he was very excited to get back out. But before that, we went backpacking, as I talked to you last week in the Uintas. And talk about natural disasters. There are fires everywhere. We got fires in California. We had fires in the Uintas. And we, you know, I had my app, we went to the trail. We were going to go up hiking up to the Granddaddy Lakes and so excited. We got to the trailhead about 630. It took us a long time to get there at night and it was closed and we couldn't get you know, six miles up to the trailhead. Plus they had a guard standing there from the national forest service saying, you can't, you can't get in because of the fires. And they're like, it's posted on the website, but no one ever goes to the website. And I'm like, didn't say it on the app or anything like that. Who goes to the backpacking website? I, I, I guess I didn't. And, uh, but I said, you know, we're, we got all the way out here and we're like, we want, we want to go backpacking and fishing. And so we went all the way back to Camas. And then drove up, you know, the Mirror River, uh, uh, Mirror Lake Trail, and went to a place. And we didn't get to the trailhead till nine thirty at night. So hiking in the dark again with our backpacks. We went the wrong direction, but that's okay. We found a great place out in out in the woods. It was just beautiful, right next to a brook, and and a lake. And then in the morning we got up and went fishing. I think in an hour we caught nine fish kept three of them. One was, uh, what's called a, uh, tiger. Um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm blanking, blanking out, uh, tiger musky. And it's a form of trout and then two rainbow trout. And we cooked those within that hour and ate them right then and there. Oh, it sounds delicious. <laughs> I love yeah. trout freshly caught and freshly cooked. My grandfather used to take me fishing all the time and we would often cook trout right after we went fishing and his favorite way to cook it. And my grandmother's favorite way to cook it was to fry the trout in bacon grease on an old Coleman stove. And that skin just gets super crispy and it's amazing. Oh, that sounds, that sounds great. Uh, love it. That, and it was, it was super fun. And uh, we didn't go very far because, you know, the, we just got the late start, but we were up about 9,000, 9,000 feet. We didn't go hike any mountains this time. We just, we just wanted to fish and relax. Well, it sounds wonderful. I love the granddaddy lakes. It's too bad that you weren't able to go there. I used to go there with my father-in-law yeah, quite often. Uh, we would go there once a year. Probably we would hike up to the Granddaddy Lakes and we would take a raft. And uh, we would oh. go out on that raft on that lake and go fishing. And without fail, you could catch a limit of trout um, within just a few hours there on the lake. So we would get there. We would leave early in the morning. So we would get there probably to the, the lake around 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. And by two o'clock in the afternoon, we were done and we would be, we would hike back and get in the truck and go back to the house and uh, 
and cook up some trout. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite places to go, but I haven't been there for a while. That's great. Well, I've never been. And so we wanted, we wanted to go and, you know, we'll, we'll get back out there. Well, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Hopefully uh, these fires will abate. It was, it's funny. We, we were talking, my, my daughter and I, as I picked her up and was bringing her home, I'm like, man, this year has been so crazy. We've had the pestilence <laughs> with the COVID. We've had the fires. We've had the winds. We've had the earthquakes. But the only thing we haven't had here locally are the floods. My fingers are crossed that, you know, there's still four months left in this year that we don't have a flood. Stop it. Don't talk about it. Crazy. I jinxed it. Oh, no. If we have one, yeah. then it's my fault. Although we haven't That's received right. hardly any rain for a long time. I mean, it's been a bone you know, dry we have summer. Had, I think we've had locusts, haven't we? I don't know if we had those here. I haven't really had yeah, any we issues. Have. They, been, actually, actually the other places around the Oh, yeah, well, certainly in Africa, right? Africa and India, the massive swarms of billions and billions of locusts. And as far as yep. uh, the worldwide goes, I mean, China has been inundated with floods. I don't know if you've been looking at what's been going on over there, but they've, they've had um, uh, just horrendous flooding, which is putting great pressure on the Three Gorges Dam, which is the largest dam in the world. And uh, millions of people have already been impacted by the floods there in China. It's been absolutely devastating. Wow. I, I cannot imagine what would happen if that dam burst uh, because there are, I think, I don't know, tens of millions of people that live downstream uh, from that dam that would be, that, that would be flooded out. Anyway. All right. Enough, uh, enough death and destruction uh, <laughs> for this, for this podcast. So Spencer, if I recall correctly, I actually have a chance to talk about a topic that is uh, really germane to what I've been working on over the past few decades, and I'm super excited to talk about it. Excellent. Let's get into it. I'm excited for you to lead this discussion. So basically, the discussion is based on a book which was published back in the 90s, or at least that's when I ran into it a book called Analyzing Performance Problems, which was by Robert Maker and Peter Pipe. And in that book, they include a handy little flow chart that takes you step-by-step step through how to diagnose and correct performance problems. Those could be individual performance problems, or those could be team performance problems. And so what I'd like to do with you is just go through this flow chart. Now, we may not have time to get through all the steps of the flow chart, but at least we can get through some of them. Let's see how far we go today. Before um, we, we get into that, Krishna, I, I want you to talk about why this is important. I mean, why do we need this, this flow chart? What are the problems that you see when you work in, in, with your clients that made this so important to you? I've had a lot of clients think that when they have an issue, the solution is training. And so people spend a lot of money on training. And when, in fact, training may not solve the issue, uh, it may not do anything, it could make things worse. And you could shell out a lot of money for training and not really get the return on investment that you're seeking. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, that I really like this method is 
it allows you to identify some certain things and take some corrective measures on those things before you jump right ahead to the training or developing I, I think this skills. Is, this is so important. I mean, it's a $54 billion industry and it represents a significant part of what my business is. And I know your business as well. So it seems like we would be shooting ourselves in the foot to talk about this. But that is exactly not the point. The point is, is that the training that you do must have an impact. Because if, you, if, if you're hiring somebody to help you solve a problem, you actually want them to solve the problem, not put a Band-Aid on something that's not fixed. And so part of what, why this is important for you as you know, a, a business leader listening to this is how, are, what choices are you making to, to train? You know, are you saying, well, it's a training issue? It may be, but we want to make sure. Isn't that the point, Christian? It's totally the point. Now, I might preface this or qualify it by saying, you know, oftentimes it's a leader, it's a business leader thinking that their employees or their team members need to be trained when in fact, the leader might need some skills development in order to help them solve the problem. And, and so it's not that, oh, well, you know, training, you shouldn't look at training, but it actually might be, well, for me to solve my problem, I actually might need to skill myself up to allow myself to then go in and solve the problem with my employees. So, so true. And, it, and it's, it's one of the conversations that I have with CEOs a lot of time, you know, they'll be talking about their employees or this problem or that problem. And when I listen and I'm finished talking, one of the questions I ask them, Christian, is, is it possible that part of the problem is, is that you're part of the problem. And if they're not willing to, (laughs) Christian, if they're not willing to admit that they might be part of the problem, then I can't work with them because nothing is really going to change because it's always about everyone else, their team. And, and therefore the problems will be systemic, whether you train or not. Well, we're talking about problems, and that's actually the first step in this process. You have to define the problem in order to solve it. And that's half the battle right there. Sometimes we just have a really difficult time identifying and uh, defining the problem. But the way that Mager and Pipe describe it is by using a very simple equation, which is your actual performance is not equal to your expected performance. And that, that defines a performance problem. It's very, very simple. Um, but oftentimes that's difficult to do. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have performance goals that are, that are very clearly stated. Uh, certain kinds of professions have uh, performance metrics that are very, very standard and other professions may not. And so it might be easier for some professions than, than other professions. Um, we talked about this earlier, but uh, I, I work for UPS and you work for UPS too. And we had guess very, what? very clear oh, uh, performance goals there. My son, I, I'm so, I just got so excited, is applying to work at UPS. He's, he's interviewing tomorrow. And I'm like, yes, but it's all about production. So go ahead and tell your story. I was just excited because he, he may uh, get it. It's a great place to work when you're a student. Oh, it's an absolutely great place. That's what I did. I worked there when I was a student. I think, Spencer, you did the same when you uh, 
were working there at UPS. Yeah, I, I started in the small sort and then I would go help in the unload, which I know you worked in the unload and, uh, and you got to talk about that. And then I became a, an unload supervisor. So I was one of the guys with the, uh, you know, the head, the radios and, and like, all right, more volume, right. Slam, let's slam those gates and, and, uh, put more volume on different, on different, uh, sorts. That's right. And at UPS, we had very firm targets for me unloading a trailer. It was 1400 packages an hour. That's what I had to unload. Uh, later I was a sorter, but uh, at the beginning I was a, as an unloader and they would back in a 45 foot flatbed. And you basically had about an hour to unload that thing. Uh, that's roughly how many packages were in one of those. And so you could very easily tell on the spot whether a person was unloading 1400 packages an hour or not. Did you ever uh, get when you got, oh, no, it's a Melaleuca truck and you had all those little tiny packages. And so it's more like 2,500 packages in a. In a <laughs> yeah. uh, it's interesting. Uh, or what would impact your production also would be uh, broken packages. I remember one oh, time yeah. uh, there was a box. This box was about uh, two feet long. It was a big box, maybe 18 inches tall and 18 inches deep. And this box was full of live worms, earthworms. And it broke in the, in the trailer and there were worms everywhere in the truck. It was just absolutely disgusting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, it, it, there's some crazy stuff that you see in, uh, you know, in, when you're in the package business. Oh, yeah. But we're not here to talk about the package business necessarily. We're just here to say the first part, the first step in solving a problem is defining what it is. And the formula is very simple. Actual performance doesn't equal expected performance. And so that's the, that's know, the first thing. For an attorney, for example, you know, your, your win to, to loss ratio might be an example of productivity, right? I mean, how many cases are you actually succeeding in? That's right. Or it could be uh, if you're a partner, you know, how many clients are you bringing in? What are your, you know, your, the billable, the billable hours uh, are always uh, right. uh, utilization is a big one in professional so services. Sales, like rainmaking, rainmaking is something we can measure how much, how much sales or client, new clients you bring, bring in. That's right. That's right. So there are various ways that people's performance is measured and you have a problem when that performance does not meet your expectations. And so if you've decided or you defined, oh, we have an issue here, we have a problem, then the next step in the flowchart is determining whether the problem is worth solving. And I'm curious, Spencer, have you ever run into a situation where you found a problem, um, but Either it wasn't material or the solution could be so costly that you just decided, well, you know what, we're just going to have to go with what we're going to go with here because to actually solve this problem, it would, it would be too expensive. They're just, it's just not worth solving. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. You know, it's, um, I don't know if this is a good example of that, but one of the one of the challenges I worked with a company that was worried about sales. It was during the last recession, and we had a problem with one of the salespeople, one of our top salespeople, but he was very toxic, and and so there was fear if we if we let that person go, what will that do to our sales? 
And um, I think that's a poor example, but that's the one that comes to mind. I think there are other other examples, but some people in this case would would not make that choice to uh, to let that person go out of fear because they think it's it's too costly. It's often with leadership positions, uh, you get the C-suite. It could be even the CEO. And and maybe there's a situation where um, the CEO may not necessarily be a great fit, but in order to buy the CEO out or to terminate the contract, it would be so costly that, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, the guy's going to retire in a couple of years. So we're just going to, we're just going to live with it uh, because we don't want to incur the cost of, of actually having to hire another person. Yeah, this this is a scenario that happened with a client of mine, and I don't I don't want to uh, you know get very clear because it, I mean I just talk very generally. And what happened was is it was a co-founding member of of an organization, and highly highly toxic. And so for years they avoided that decision, and there's a cost to that. Ultimately, they were able to um, set up a situation where where they could get this individual to to leave with with additional great costs. But in this case, they they decided to to no longer defer that and and keep incurring all the all, all the pain that would have ultimately destroyed the organization. So yes, the, it, it, I I have experienced that. You know, and it's quite interesting not to go on to too much of a tangent, but with the whole Me Too movement that's happened, uh, scenarios or situations that in earlier times, you know, back a uh, ten, twenty, thirty years ago, they they would have been swept under the rug. Now companies are looking at it and they're saying, you know what, we have to make a move because if we don't, the, the cost to us, not just from a dollar terms perspective, uh, but also to our reputation, you know, reputation risk is now so high that, that, uh, you know, executives who, who were behaving inappropriately, who could get by with it for years and years and years and established a culture of harassment. Uh, people are no longer keeping those guys around. You know, <laughs> they're letting them go because the math has changed. And, and, uh, and I hope, you know, and I think for the better. Absolutely. And it won't be great when we actually get to a place where we make those decisions, not just on math, but because it's the right thing. I, I totally agree. And, uh, and I think what's going to happen, we'll have an alignment of math and the right thing. And, uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> right. Right. And, and when those agree, um, then we're in a good place when we're not in a good place is when math and the right thing to do don't necessarily agree. And that causes all kinds of conflicts and problems. Well, enough of that. Uh, but uh, thanks for indulging me on that tangent. The next step, if you've just, if you've defined the problem and you've decided it's worth solving, is to see if there's some quote unquote fast fixes that you can apply to rectify the situation. And ideally these would be um, solutions that could be implemented quickly at relatively low cost to the organization. And there are three of these fast fixes. And the first fast fix is about expectations. Have you actually set the expectation of performance with the person whose performance is lacking? It surprises me how often in business 
we ask people to do things, but we don't really establish clear expectations. And then we get upset when they're not performing to our standard, but we've never told them what the standard is. Oh, it happens all, all the time. I mean, there's, there's a few reasons why people don't do what they're supposed to do. Right. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They don't know why to do it. And, and if they know all of those things, you know, what is then the expectation of how, productive they get to be. Did they know that before they came on board? Because sometimes we, we don't tell the whole story. And even in today's environment, there is, so let me give you, UPS is a perfect example of this, right? It is, um, it's a company that struggles to find a lot of people because the work is hard. And we're talking in, in the, um, even in the driving side, but we're talking about in the sword and the unload, it is very physical. They have late hours and not everybody wants to do that. And so the, the, the thing that UPS does very well is they actually tell the story. They talk about how hard it is in their recruiting videos. They say, this is what you're going to experience, but there are some companies and I am very aware of it, that, that they don't tell how hard it is. They, they put on a, a front on, this is what it's going to be like when you get here. So some people come in without that clear expectation of what's going to be expected. Yeah, I, I remember a situation. This was uh, many years ago, a company that I worked with brought in a new head of sales. Uh, the company had a decent product, but wasn't really able to make money on it. They, they just weren't able to generate a profit. And the company had incurred a lot of debts. And, and the, the only way that they saw themselves getting out of the situation was a to reduce their their production cost, their operating cost, while at the same time B, uh, dramatically increasing their sales. And they brought in a uh, a VP of sales come in, and a couple of weeks after he was hired, uh, he was having a conversation with the ownership, and it dawned on him, uh, you are actually asking me to save this company. I can't save this company, but he didn't understand that expectation going in. He just kind of discovered it for himself. And had he, had he understood the expectation, he probably would have realized he wasn't the right person for the job. And, um, and also the, the, the owners of the company probably would have realized that guy wasn't the right person for the job. Uh, because he wasn't that kind of person that could really take something and turn it around. That's a perfect example of, 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 you know, not setting expectations or, or maybe avoiding expectations, right? Because you're making a decision based on, Hey, we need, we need, we need sales. We need to grow this right now. And so you just make a decision and, and don't think about the consequences. Well, now they have to replace that individual because they either quit and now they're in a deeper hole than, than they would have been if they had done it right the first time. Absolutely. That's exactly, exactly what happened. The guy lasted there a few months and then realized everybody realized he's not the right guy. And so they needed to bring somebody else in. All right, let's go to our next item on our checklist or our flow chart. And I think we'll put a link to this flow chart or something uh, on our podcast so people can see the full, the flow chart and follow along. Can you share along. your screen and, and point it out? Uh, yeah, let me uh, move this here. 
for those of you who are watching this on on YouTube, uh, we actually record record this. I know most people are listening to this on a podcast, but we also have video of this. If you're interested, we haven't promoted it, but it, it might be nice for someone to actually go and look at that if, if they're interested. All right. Can you see that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So that's the flow chart in its entirety. So now I'll zoom it in a little bit. Um, and get us to the, the piece that we're talking about. And it's this piece here, which is um, the, the fast fix uh, section. And what we did is we just talked about, um, have we set clear expectations? We described the problem, we decided it was worth pursuing, and now we're trying to determine whether um, we've set clear expectations and that what we, that's just what we talked about. The next item on our flow chart is do you have adequate resources? So I'm going to turn my screen sharing off here so we can see ourselves again. And, um, and we'll continue the conversation. Now, when it comes to adequate resources, this is a fast fix thing. So it's not necessarily spending a huge amount of money trying to retool a production line or something like that to make sure that everybody has the absolute world-class resources that they need. But are there some simple things that can be done to give people the tools they need right away to improve their performance? You know, it's never about, does any organization ever have all the resources that they that they need? I mean, even Tesla probably doesn't have everything that they need, right, with Elon Musk and everything that he does. But are you actually utilizing and allocating your resources efficiently? So maybe we have some excess in one department that we could reallocate somewhere else. I mean, that's a way to, to use existing assets that, that, that you may have, but blocks uh, of resources could be, you know, do you have the right software? You know, do you have, uh, you know, does the, does the computer, you know, sometimes we, we upgrade our, our, our software and, and create a new process, for example, for tracking expenses, but um, for, for whatever reason, the, the, the software is not working the way the process is, is designed to do. And so then people just avoid it and they don't do their expense reports. Right. So we look at the behavior saying you need to do your expense reports on time. Why are you not doing it? And well, the software doesn't work. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that can be used as a crutch by people who are not performing well. Well, the software, the software is terrible. Uh, but there are instances where the software is genuinely bad and, and um, you know, that's something that hopefully can be fixed. Now, sometimes you're dealing with custom software solutions or software that is, you know, it's been designed and millions of dollars have been spent on it. So retooling that, that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball of wax, but we're just talking about, you know, very simple, uh, you know, very simple um, solutions. I think that um, uh, one of the great things about these, uh, these, uh, these software tools now is that they are more widely available than ever and at a, at a lower cost than, than ever before. And, and so that's, that's definitely one, that's definitely one thing. I do have an interesting example of, of a fast fix. And um, this actually comes from my home. My wife is extremely organized. She has places for everything. And, uh, and, you know, some of the little inconveniences that cause problems in a marriage, like, uh, you don't 
put a new roll of toilet paper on the toilet paper roll when you're done. You know, that she has little solutions for those. You know, the, the toilet paper thing, I think, is a great example because um, she has a little basket on every toilet that holds like three or four rolls of toilet paper. You never run out of toilet paper. If the roll goes out, well, you've got another one that's right behind you. You don't have to get up off the seat. It's just there. You just, well, you know, instead of having, well, I got to go downstairs and I got to get toilet paper out of the storage room and it never happens. Well, if you just have a few rolls right there, then you're never going to run out of toilet paper. That sounds like a dumb example, but there are a lot of companies where things don't get done because there are little inconveniences that people don't want to mess around with and you can just move stuff around and make the process just a little bit more efficient. And then voila, people are doing what you want. I think that there's a, I'm going to throw this out and if I'm wrong, you can, you can cut this out, but I think there's another example that, that you have shared with me that you have done to, to solve a problem very similar to this. So for example, in, in the uh, Olympic space, right, you have a Olympic organizing committee that spends years and years preparing for the Olympics. And then they have all these volunteers that come and go. And part of the process is, you've got this next organizing committee that's going to take over after it. And they want to transfer as much of the learnings, you know, from new decades and new games as we, as we progress, we want to transfer as much of that knowledge as possible. And one of the things that, that you talk about struggling with is, is reporting, right? All the volunteers and all the people that are working there reporting what their learnings were, what, what went well, what went wrong. And that was a very cumbersome process. And so it didn't happen. Am I on the right track? Here? Yeah, yeah. Well, it did happen, but it happened with varying degrees of quality. And there Correct. were some areas. So, exactly, that exactly. And the problems were, well, the games end and then everybody splits because they have to go actually get a real job after working the games. And, and so, so all sometimes, the data and information and learnings haven't been captured as well as they could be. That's right. So to combat that, the IOC has done a couple of things. Number one, um, they've they start the knowledge transfer process earlier. Uh, so it's more timely. And number two. Uh, they they go out and they conduct interviews with people because it's much easier for someone to respond to questions just sitting down and having a conversation for an hour than it is to write a report, particularly if that report's not in your mother tongue. And so, uh, you know, I've personally been involved in that and that saved a huge amount of time and uh, money. It's relieved a significant burden from the organizing committees. And in the end, the ISC, and this is just starting with the uh, Tokyo 2020 game. So it actually hasn't totally been implemented yet in terms of replacing the reporting. But um, in the end, uh, the IOC will get a very good quality product, uh, a lot of good contextual knowledge shared because it's shared the way people have shared these stories since the beginning of time, talking person to person, having a conversation, retelling a story. And uh, it's much, much easier for people to do that than it is to sit down and write reports. Okay. So then I was, that, that's right. That's a, that's an example of, of reallocating your resources to get, you know, to get a better result. Absolutely. So that's a fast fix. And the last item on here, Spencer, and I don't know how much time you have because we're, we're running about two minutes until our original deadline for this, uh, for this conversation. But the, the last item uh, on the fast fixes is really about providing feedback. Yeah. So 
if someone's not performing adequately, do they know that they're not performing adequately? Sometimes people just go on and they do their work and nobody ever tells them that they're not doing a good job. And this is really where you as a leader get in your own way. And we have had several conversations about leadership style and communication style. And there are some people, and I have conversations every single day, had them today with a CEO. I I just had a conversation with a CEO in Los Angeles, great firm and wants to implement more standard operating procedures because they are, you know, what they do is, is forensic based. I mean, they're using, uh, information for, um, actually providing witnesses for attorneys and stuff. So it's very, uh, you know, very data driven, very science, you know, very engineering. So it's, it's a lot of accuracies and they have to be very, very careful, but this leader, when, when confronted with her personality admitted that, um, part of the challenge that she's had is actually holding people to the standards that she wanted to, to create because she wanted to be nice and she wanted to be create a, you know, positive environment. And so as a result did not address deficiencies as soon as should have been done. And as a result, then you start creating habits and behaviors and it becomes harder to confront because you now created a, uh, by a, a tacitly or, or not saying it, you've, uh, you've allowed that behavior and it's hard, it's hard to change that. That's an example of how a leader is creating their own problems in their organization. We see this in sports a lot. Uh, and I think we've talked about it a little bit before, but you hear the term players coach. And a player's coach, generally speaking, historically anyway, had a reputation that um, they would just kind of let the players do their thing. And, and so uh, oftentimes a, a player's coach um, might be a reticent to hold a player accountable uh, for their behavior and really call them out and say, hey, you know, what you're doing here is not right. And, uh, and as a result, you know, standards might slip, uh, discipline may suffer and ultimately practice, the, practice. The, yeah, exactly practice, practice, and then performance on the field suffers and the team doesn't win. And then the coach is out of a job. Right. And, and that's, that's a great example of, you know, creating your, your own problems because you're not willing to give feedback. I think the other problem Christian is, is that if you are willing to give feedback, do you know how to do it in a way that actually has impact that people can actually hear and apply and not shut down? Uh, One challenge actually that can happen is the person that you're giving feedback to a couple of things, again, based on their personality can overreact and, and blow up and get overly defensive. And then that makes it very difficult where, where you have now an emotional situation where feedback can actually cannot actually be absorbed or heard. Um, or they shut down because of fear and, oh, no, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, so how you give feedback is really, really important. Do you know how to handle that person that might have this explosive personality? Do you know how to handle the person that shuts down or one that's going to argue with you and have all the facts as to why they're correct? Do you Are you prepared for that conversation and have the ability to give feedback in a way that can actually be heard? You know, some people, some leaders can navigate this naturally. It's just, it's something that they can do well. Um, but this isn't something that's taught a lot at school. And there are a lot of people who may be very book smart or they may be experts in their particular area, but they have no idea to how to handle these situations. And I think this is where, you know, when we talked at the beginning, um, this is where the leader could use some help 
could use some training, could use some coaching to, to help them uh, figure out what's the best way to handle the people on my team, the best way right. to provide the feedback. If they don't know how to do it, if they don't do a very good job of it, they may not be aware, but if they are aware, um, then they need to be given the skills to be able to do this, to provide this feedback. Otherwise, um, you know, they'll just go through and do a, you know, a regular training and then uh, um, the problem will still be there. And actually the problem was probably their inability to give uh, feedback effectively. Right. And this is, so this is where coaching would come in, right. Or working with someone that could help you. And, and actually just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, presenting to a group of CEOs in, in Wisconsin. And one of the CEOs was talking about a similar challenge that I talked about earlier, a salesperson that was, uh, was really a problem and, and not performing what, the way they needed to, or creating a lot of tension within the organization. And, um, I had this, the CEO's profile and talked about how they were, they were perpetuating the problem by not addressing it. And they were just very concerned about how to, how to handle it. And so I asked the CEO to pretend to be that employee. And I was then the CEO and we role played and he gave me all the excuses and, and I would, and I would handle that. And so just role playing and modeling for people, just showing them how you can have a conversation to give feedback is a huge eye opener. And then the next level would be preparing that, that executive for that conversation, knowing the employee that they had to talk to, getting them ready. It's like a game plan, right? You're talking about sports. The coach puts together a game plan. You work on it. You practice it in a safe environment so that when you go live in the game, you're actually knowing what to do and what to expect when the team throws certain things at you. You've watched the game tape. And, and you know what to expect. And that's, a, and that's not a training situation for everybody. That's focused feedback, working with an expert that can really help you get to your next level can, can save you hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars over, over time. I just have to ask a question here, Spencer, in the work that you've done over decades with hundreds of CEOs, C-suite level uh, professionals, business owners, executives, ballpark, how many of them percentage wise actually have a good command of these communication and leadership skills. 10%. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. 10%. And, and, you know, I find when it comes to team performance, which is what we're focused on, only about 10% of teams are high performing. There's a correlation there to the leadership of, of the organization and the performance of the team. Always, 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 always. So there's a dramatic uh, a dramatic room for improvement, uh, industry-wide, you know, across the entire globe, uh, companies need to improve the skills, the leadership skills and the communication skills of their leaders in order to maximize the performance of their organizations. And you are, you are eminently uh, qualified to help people do just that. Well, I don't know about eminently, but a lot of these people need help imminently. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Particularly (laughs) during these crazy (laughs) uncertain times, right? That's right. Thank you for calling me your eminence. (laughs) <laughs> all right your majesty i guess it's about time I've, I've, we've gone over our limit here on time and so i probably need to get you back and 
And there's so much more to talk about. We've just kind of scratched the surface here, but, but these, even these few uh, fast fixes, I think can solve uh, a very large percentage of performance problems. If those um, are implemented correctly in an organization and Spencer, as I mentioned, um, you're very, very well positioned to help organizations do just that, analyze and solve their performance problems. So if you know, people want to get a hold of you, Spencer, um, no, you're, you're most welcome. Uh, and, and we'll continue on with a future conversation, future, future episode. We'll, we'll dive into more of this. Um, but if people want to learn more about how you can help them solve their performance problems uh, and increase the performance of their organizations, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? So go to altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. Email me, Spencer. S-P-E-N-C-E-R at altiumleadership.com. Christian, I'm actually headed out of town tomorrow to do some face-to-face work with an organization with the head of the organization and, uh, and some of the executive team to handle situation because of, uh, of leadership that is not setting expectations or, or managing the way they need to. And um, it's costly to not do it right. And now we've got, uh, you know, a, a lot of work that has to happen and, and expense that has to be uh, to be laid out to fix it. If you will be willing to spend the time to call Christian, to call myself, you will save yourself so many headaches and so many problems. And so if people want to get a hold of you, and I know you've done so much great work with organizations and you're so thoughtful about how you approach it, how do they find you? Uh, well, you can go to my website, gp4.com, gpfour.com, or you can email me at cnapier at gp4.com. Look me up on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm very happy to speak with you and, and see what we can do to possibly help you. So, Spencer, I wish you all the best in your travels. Good luck with your client here. I hope you can help them solve their problems and, and uh, save them a lot of money. And I look forward to speaking to you again when you get back. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you, everyone. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon.